Welcome to the Back Row Fantasy Show with your hosts, Jeremy Barker, Aaron Arms, and Chad Middle. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Back Row Fantasy Show with me, your host Bark. And to my left is Anonymous, er, to my left is Arms, not Anonymous. <laughs> and to my right is Anonymous, er, not Anonymous, it's Niddle. You can say who I am on this podcast. You would have to listen to another one to know what I'm talking about. But, <laughs> uh, how's, how's anyone else doing out there? How's everybody doing? How's anyone else? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Man, I'm doing great tonight. Can't wait to jump back in this rookie rundown, baby. Swell. I've been, I'm doing swell. Thanks He's for doing, asking. He's doing uh, swimmingly. He's doing, yeah, everything's going swimmingly. We got, a, uh, we got a nice little episode going on. We've got a Steve Slayton interview to end this sucker with. Uh, just talking former about Houston uh, Texans running back, great guy. We were just talking about wasn't it? Just how good he was in college. Not how? in college, but his rookie year, he was phenomenal. He was a stud, absolutely stud for me. I mean, injuries, injuries, and Arian Foster, just a bad combination to have. Yeah, but you know how many guys can say I went into the National Football League and I ran for over a thousand yards? Not just that question, but. As a rookie, yeah. like Steve, yeah. not many. We'll be lucky, lucky to get two this year. Yeah, major credit to Steve Slayton. He was an absolute animal his first year in the league, and he was a consummate pro. And he he played for multiple teams and, and chipped in and helped out on multiple teams. And he enjoyed it. From yeah. the interview, you know, you'll hear one thing: he enjoyed it. You've got to appreciate and enjoy things, and especially when it's a grind, man. I absolutely. mean, dude, making it to the NFL is a freaking grind. From yeah. from when you're in middle school, start first lifting weights, stuff like that. I mean, imagine the time, imagine the time Steve Slayton put in just to, for one season in the sun. You yeah, know? yeah. Talent doesn't take you everywhere. Hard work doesn't take you everywhere. The combination of talent, hard work, and opportunity and passion. Yeah. Yeah, and you, good fortune. You, you got to put it all together, be in the right place at the right time. I mean, just think about it. A couple of years ago, there was a kid from West Virginia, high school in West Virginia, that ran for 700 yards in a game. Oh, my God. What's his name? Nobody. Exactly. Knows. <laughs> exactly. So this kid obviously has talent, but everything else didn't stack up to where he ends up being even in the pros. Wow. So, I mean, the combination of someone like Steve Slayton to be able to put all this together and get his shot. That's awesome. I mean, Took advantage I, of it just again. It was bad opportunity, bad circumstances that kind of brought his career to a close. But dude, always love Steve Slayton. Me too, man. Had to get in I've, I've been. I was super excited that I got you know the opportunity to interview him. I say I because you two were unfortunately not able to make it, and that that does suck, and it's unfortunate. But at the same time, the man came on our show and he uh, he talked to us and. He's a great dude, so I'm excited for everybody to listen to that coming up. And we've also still got roughly four to five uh, really good interviews with really interesting people uh, scheduled for the future. Not sure when. People are busy. Life is hectic. But uh, some some solid commitments out there from folks, and it makes me happy. That's part of the reason we started doing this show was to uh, you know talk to people about football and also talk to people who've played the sport of football. Yes, indeed. 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 Yes, indeed. Uh, so you ready to jump into this? It's getting gritty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Voices are getting gritty. That's getting gritty. <laughs> All right. Speaking of gritty. Speaking now, of gritty, yeah. So this we're wide going receiver to, class is quite gritty. It is a little bit gritty. There is definitely no clear-cut uh, you know, guy to magic erase the competition. No. There's no. just not. Yeah. There's no Batman amongst these these guys. There's not. There's not. <laughs> like honestly, but there's a ton of guys who could. Like there's like five guys who could just have absolutely stud seasons, and it's not the top top two or three guys in this draft. It seemed like everyone who was the big name, and you're thinking this is the team they should go to because they can walk in and be a number one, didn't really get that opportunity. Because a lot. Of, I mean, really, what happened is smart teams drafted smart. Yeah. Good teams drafted good players. And, you know, maybe the opportunity is not available immediately, but they're 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 good for a long time for a reason because they know what they're doing. Whereas you've got bad teams who need a wide receiver who are like, I'm thinking I'm gonna take a crack at this outside linebacker, even though my wide receiving core is desolate. Yeah. 
if you need a wide receiver, draft a wide receiver. Yes. And that's what we did have a couple teams do that this year, but uh, they also drafted a lot, a lot of your top guys went into a number two role, clear cut number two role, like yeah. Calvin Ridley, Christian Kirk, that, Cortland Sutton, your top three guys, arguably top three, all went into clear cut number two roles within their team. And who knows how that's going to translate into the fantasy football world. Absolutely. So basically what we're going to do for you here, just like we did on the last episode, we're going to run through the wide receivers and give you a, uh, you know, them versus the veterans. Where are you going to take them in in your dynasty startup or redraft startup? Uh, where where do these guys land? Who who Where do they slot in between? What two veterans are these rookies going to be picked in between? Or where should you take them? Uh, more is the question there. So let's start out. Uh, with uh, the first wide receiver taken in the draft, DJ Moore. Uh, we've talked about our outlook for him a little bit. Let's touch on that a little more and discuss where we're drafting him in dynasty startups. I know, Arms, you're big on the Carolina receiving core. So hit me. <laughs> or not so high help, on it. Help me, Arms. Help me. I, my, I, I don't have a lot of faith in much of anybody, really, in this year's draft class to make an impact immediately. Because even DJ Moore, who's, you know, quite the athlete, he just really fits in with, you know, what they've already got to me and Curtis Samuel and uh, Christian McCaffrey. I think they're all very similar type players, and I worry that his his value is going to be more to the team than fantasy-wise. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't think he's that great of a, a, a true natural wide receiver. Route running ability, uh, playmaking ability he has, but he's just not – that big, that dominant, that physically imposing, but he is shifty. I'm interested to see. I think he's gonna actually going to steal some uh, receptions away from Christian McCaffrey out of the backfield. I think they'll have some more like drag routes, uh, uh, in and out, out cuts, just trying to get the ball in his hands a couple yards off the line of scrimmage and let him take it in, take it upfield. So, I to me, I don't see him having a monstrosity of a year. And as far as where I'm drafting him. I can't even draft him in the top 25, to be quite honest. He's nothing more than a wide receiver three upside for year one. For year one. Now, you know, three years out might be a little bit different story. But next year, I don't see him turning into a Tyreek Hill right off the bat. I don't see him having a T.Y. Hilton year. I don't even see him having like a Brandon Cooks, uh, you know, big yardage, low receptions year. I, I have trouble drafting him inside the top 25. Here's, here's where I've seen him. Here's, uh, you know, in startups. I got a couple startup examples on DJ Moore. Uh, one pre-draft, one post-draft, and they're they're very similar. They're not far apart pre-draft and post-draft. Uh, seen him taken between Golden Tate and Sammy Watkins. Okay. Um, That's because people go way too high on Sammy Watkins, but anyhow. Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't take him, you know, in front of or right behind Golden Tate, I think, but... Guys that went ahead of DJ Moore, uh, Alshon Jeffrey, Doug Baldwin, Josh Gordon, Ty, Thielen, Landry, Juju, and then the and then the usual names that are going high right now: Diggs, Cooks, AJ Green, Tyreek, Allen Robinson, Julio. So roughly, on up, what on number up. is he coming in at? What like number? Twenty eighth, something in that range. Yeah, roughly, roughly after the twentieth uh, wide receiver taken. So. You're seeing him go off the board inside yeah, yeah. that top twenty-five, right after, right after, right after twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, and I, I definitely that's too high. My God, I would. Des Bryant doesn't have a team, and I'd take him over DJ Moore. No, oh, I wouldn't do that. But I'm the consummate Des Bryant. I absolutely here. would. I, 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 I just still, can't see a path of of immediate success for you. But I see your Golden Tate argument. I'm not taking him over Golden Tate, but I'm not 80, taking him over Marvin Jones either. ADP-wise, let me give you the next five receivers after Golden Tate. It's Jordy Nelson, Michael Crabtree, <laughs> Sammy Watkins, Juju, and Chris Hogan. Like, Juju should be way above those guys, in my opinion. I think Crabtree deserves a little bit of a bump. I'm thinking about DJ Moore amongst those other guys, not named Juju you just yeah, mentioned. After that, that, that's outside the top 25. Then you get into Pierre Garçon. Emmanuel Sanders, Corey Davis, Marvin Jones. I see him right in there. It gets gets crapshooty into the late 20s. But that puts him at a wide receiver three. You can draft. I think you can draft DJ Moore confidently as a wide receiver three, but he doesn't have wide receiver two or one or wide receiver one upside year one. In a 16 teamer, though, that puts him as a wide receiver two. And I, I just. 
Borderline there's a, there's other players I'd rather have than DJ Moore, and part of that is Cam's lack of success with a true stud receiver. He's just outside of Steve Smith. There's really been nobody. Yeah, redraft. I'm I'm not taking him. You know, in those late twenties, but I I do believe in dynasty. I'm I'm probably taking him as as wide receiver twenty seven, eight, nine. I yeah. mean, just just based on upside alone, uh, I think he has the potential to be Carolina's number one. I think Funchess has the has regression written all over him, and I think DJ Moore could be part of that. But you've got McCaffrey, you've got Olsen. I don't see him putting up anything better than wide receiver three stats. So, so put a stat line on it. Are you thinking seventy and eight hundred? I'm thinking 60, Whoa. 60 Whoa. for 750 and 6. I got him pegged at like 45 and 750. I think okay. he can put 60 on the board. I, I just don't like Funchess enough to. I mean, I, I'm just thinking McCaffrey's still going to get. If he, He's got to eat in, into McCaffrey's catches to get to 70 or to 60 catches. McCaffrey's going to catch 75 balls, supposedly. I mean, he did last year. So I don't, I don't know how you can take away from getting the ball into a proven playmaker's hands, even a year two proven playmaker. Also, you say Greg Olson's back. Greg Olson's a legit threat down the middle of the field. I, I, I'm, I'm going to shoot low on him. 45, 750, I think he can get into the end zone a handful of times. So wide receiver three upsides as high as I'm going on DJ Moore. I'm with you. Next, uh, you know, you got Cortland Sutton. He wasn't drafted quite that high, but that's who I see going after him. But we'll we'll stick to the theme here. Calvin Ridley will go next. He got drafted before Sutton. Sutton was the third receiver off the board. Uh, Ridley, I'm seeing, you know, close to Sutton. I mean, Ridley's going after Sutton in the two that I saw, uh, wedged in between Marvin Jones and Des Bryant. Uh, I think if you're going to take that chance on DJ Moore in the late 20s, uh, it's not a stretch to pick Calvin Ridley as the wide receiver 30. Man, I, 30, I'd rather have 31. Ridley than DJ Moore. Bang, I was I, about to I say would that myself. But well, to me, Ridley's going to go and probably be the number two. Whereas DJ Moore, I feel like his his role just isn't defined yet. Right. I think I think DJ Moore. I think they're going to discover quickly that he's the best wide receiver on the team. That's the reason I like DJ Moore so much. I, I don't think there's anybody. I, I get that, on that argument. Team. I do. I do. But quick, you know, Carolina has a bad wide receiving core. What's well, just you know that's right. Why and they're, they're not. A, and they're not I, a passing I, I offense. That's why I won't be surprised if if Ridley outproduces them. I'm not saying that at all. I just the upside and the potential role of like their true go to guy. DJ Moore has that potential. It wouldn't role. surprise me if Carolina did not produce a 900 yard receiver this year. Would not mean. not one. Right, I'm with you, and that's why I like Calvin. I think Calvin Ridley could have a thousand yards receiving. I do, along with Julio Jones. And Matt Ryan bounces back. It's not out of the question at all. Yeah, I I see. I'll be the first to say it, man. Uh, Julio Jones is about to see a career regression. I don't think he's at the top that he is, and it's partly because of Matt Ryan. That offense isn't as great as it was two or three years ago. But I think Calvin Ridley is truly that good to where he can eat into some of the targets of Julio Jones. I'm not saying Julio Jones is, is going to have diminishing athletic ability. I'm saying they got two legit off, offensive weapons at wideout on one each side of the yeah. field, and they are going to use that. Calvin Ridley is a great route runner all the way. And they can throw that, like, who's going deep, who's coming under. You never know with those two on the field at the same time. So, I, I like Calvin Ridley in the top 25. I'd take a chance on him before anyone else. So you had Sanu that had, like, 60-some uh, receptions, 700 yards last year. And they Taylor Gabriel's now gone as well. Yep. I mean, Austin Hooper is, you know, a couple touchdowns a couple weeks a year, and that's it. I mean – you start taking the targets away and giving those to Calvin Ridley, I think he quickly moves into that number two role, which we have seen be successful with Matt Ryan uh, whenever uh, – was it Harry Douglas for a while there? was absolute, A multitude yeah, of, of a, a running 1, mates. 1,100 yards with Julio Jones. I mean, I think we've got that in Calvin – or Calvin Ridley, excuse me. And you know what? I – it wouldn't surprise me if he's, you know, far and away the number one uh, receiver in this year's rookie draft class. And once again, number one being probably breaking a thousand yards, six touchdowns, seventieth reception. Right. Let's let's look at Muhammad Sanu's year last year: sixty-seven receptions, seven hundred yards. He was kind of their underneath guy, caught a lot of possession, pure possession receiver, high high receptions, low yardage. I think you could just take those numbers. Translate them, bam, right on to Ridley. And add with two more, yards a catch. With more athleticism. Yeah, exactly. That's about 150 more yards. He's going to be approaching 1,000 yards with that right there. 
So, boom, I like Calvin Ridley in that role, uh, number two role in Atlanta. I, with, can't, I can't make it any clearer. With a real-life, actual good quarterback, unlike he had for most of the year at Alabama. True. Excellent point. Let's, point yeah, there, let's yeah. not let's not take away his his college numbers. Let's not take those and say he's not a great receiver because he doesn't have the numbers. I mean, That's whenever what you're saying, yeah, about, whenever he yeah. came in, I mean, he I believe broke the uh, the Alabama rookie or freshman receiving record, which was held by Amari Cooper, previously held by Julio Jones. Yeah, I mean, these are some great players ahead of him that he outproduced in college who became great nfl players yes. so dude the talent is there i i'm i'm very high on calvin ridley having a better than juju's juju last year i mean i think I, he'll juju took a while to come on i think calvin ridley is bam immediate impact week one i think ridley's going to be consistent the whole year yeah. versus big games where the heck did he come from type player can't yeah. disagree with that i like ridley too so i'm on i'm on the same page Cortland Sutton was the next guy off the board. Uh, to me, in Dynasty, it makes sense uh, to draft him in that wide receiver 30 to 35 range, but you're going to have to wait on him. Yeah, I, I do uh, not. You 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 are not going to see fantasy consistency or fantasy production early from Sutton, barring injury. As, as much as I like Sutton coming out and I wanted him to go to a place that had an established, like – you want him to be a number two. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't like the landing spot in Denver. He's you already said he's going to have to wait behind uh, Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders for playing time. He's wide receiver three. Who knows if the quarterback play is going to improve with Case Keenum? I mean, I like Case Keenum. He proved a lot last year, but I just don't know about Case Keenum. I don't know that he's the answer there. So you're talking three years out. Three years out, they might still be looking for a franchise quarterback. And they Think might still that. have Demarius Thomas on the team in three years. Right. Cortland Sutton has fantasy bust written all over him. Immediate fantasy bust big time. But even three or four years down the road, I would I would draft him with extreme caution with nothing more than a, fly, a three-year flyer on him, to Here, be quite honest. Here's what I'm saying about Cortland Sutton. I like him more than that. He's Demarius Thomas. He is 2.0. He's the same athlete Demarius Thomas is. The problem is they already have him. And they've got, you know... A, a He's good, declining, a though. Good, yes, no, I agree. They've got a good route runner in Emmanuel Sanders. They've got some really good players already in place, and it, it's going to take a hell of a performance from a rookie to start pushing those guys off the field. Bingo. Right, but in a year or two, I think you could easily see Cortland Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton in those roles within two years. And I agree 100%, but I, I'm just saying... For year one, yeah, bust. Uh, you're, you're not getting anything out of him, so temper your expectations. If you're not drafting him to put him on the taxi squad, I'm not sure what you're drafting him for. My And, and to nope. be clear, my problem with Cortland Sutton is more about the quarterback play. And, and I realize I got Case Keenum. I just don't know that Case Keenum is a long-time answer in Denver. That's why I question the short-term and long-term I'm with you. fantasy impact of Cortland Sutton. Yeah, Redraft, I, he's not in the wide receiver 30 range. Redraft, I'm not taking him at all. Uh, Dynasty, yes. I mean, he's falling around the same place as Will Fuller, Des Bryant, Nelson Aguilar, Jameson Crowder. He's going ahead of those guys. He's going, you know, the Funchess and Watkins range right now, just a few spots away from DJ Moore. I think that's okay for Dynasty, but See, it, you better have already dra- – you better you better have a good wide receiver. You better have Demarius Thomas. Yeah. Yeah, he, you better have Demarius. Demarius Thomas' handcuff. Yeah, basically. That's, that's entirely too high. With the Will Fullers and Nelson Aguilars and all that's way too high to take a wide receiver handcuff. Yes. Plain and simple. You, there's no reason for you to own Cortland Sutton until you have three solid wide receivers already on your team. And guess what? He's going to be gone. Next off the board was Dante Pettis to San Francisco. Uh, I like Dante Pettis. I wasn't really feeling him until he went to a great situation, but he went to a great situation. He has all of the ability and talent to be San Francisco's Sterling Shepard, in my opinion. He's got all the ability and talent to be the number one off the day one in rookie training camp. I mean, he's he's a better athlete than Pierre Garçon. Um, what is it? Marquise Goodwin? Does Marquise – I mean, I know Marquise he had Marquise Goodwin was a bit of a, releva- it, of a, releva- uh, a revelation. Yeah. My goodness. He, proved, he proved a lot of doubters wrong. He proved wrong. a lot of doubters wrong, and they, they rewarded him. I think Marquise Goodwin has some staying power. In San Francisco, just because that wide receiving core has question marks. Right. But he was the – I mean, after uh, 
uh, what's his face went down, Garcon goes down. Yeah, then he becomes the only game in town. He just, I just don't have much faith in a five foot nine hundred eighty pound receiver. Talking about Marquise, yeah, and then there there are other guys five foot six. Yeah, I mean, and Trent Taylor, like they're slotted three starting wide receivers: Garcon, Goodwin, and Trent Taylor. Like I, I'm going to take Dante Pettis as to me probably the starter to go in on the outside immediately. He's uh he's going in the wide receiver forty range. I'm okay with that. Like, I don't think it's. I don't think you're drafting too early. I don't think he's going too late. I'll take yeah. him over Cortland Sutton. I will go. Eh, man, that's, no, I can't do that. That's so. I I see so the Sutton's argument a there. Big time talent. Sometimes you got to draft talent. My, yeah, not in redraft. I'll take Dante Pettis in redraft. Yeah, uh, over Sutton. But dynasty, give me Sutton all day long. Yeah, I I think I agree with that. Dynasty, uh, as bad as I just went off on on Cortland Sutton, I'm not as high on on Dante Pettis, I guess, as you arms. I like the situation. They have the opposite. They have uh, of what Denver has. They have a franchise quarterback now. A good offense uh, projecting for 2018. I don't know that he's a part of that. I I do think. Marquise Goodwin has staying power. Pierre Garçon's a proven receiver. Trent Taylor didn't have a bad year for an unnamed rookie out of nowhere. And, and I, I have trouble fitting in a guy who never went over 900 yards receiving in college into an NFL offense and expect immediate production. You know, I mean, he wasn't even that productive in college in Dante Pettis. All the measurables, but no production. Here's but did he ever rate. have a quarterback like uh, Jimmy G? He had a good quarterback. What was it? Not Luke Falk. Luke Falk was Washington State, but he had a good quarterback at Washington. Browning. Yeah, Jake, Jake Browning. Jake Browning was Heisman contender okay. two years ago. So, I mean. What happened to him? Yeah, let's just say Washington got exposed in the college football playoff two years ago. They okay. dropped off, okay. lost a few games last year, and Washington just didn't. Dante Pettis is the only guy that survived and into the NFL draft, you know. He's the only guy that was, like, NFL marketable other than Vita Vey. I mean, to, to look at what he did, you know, last year, not not in 17, but in 16, 820 yards and 15 touchdowns. Like, to me, that just screams, I can catch in traffic. I can get it in the red zone and and win. Like, that's – John Ross led the team in, in, in touchdowns that year, though. Just for the like sake. It, that was just a disgusting – like, I think the Pac-12 was just that bad at defense. Yeah. Okay. Like, they just allowed that many touchdowns and watched it out of wide-open offense. You know, again, 800 yards receiving is not great in a wide-open offense. How about the fact he walks in and is at six foot one? he's the biggest receiver on the team by, like, two or three inches? All right. How crazy is that? Garcon's that small? He's, like, 5'11". All right. Here, the place uh, Dante's going is uh, D.D. Westbrook, Range, Michael Crabtree, Josh Doxson, uh, Julian Edelman, Cameron Meredith. He's going. He's going around those guys in between, behind, in front of a little bit. That's that's the group. Two of those four guys, I really like a lot more. Yeah, I'll take two of them over, but I'll take him over the other two. Yeah, yeah. Give me Crabtree. Uh, take- give me Alan Hearn. Or. or uh, you say Allen Robinson or Allen Hearns? No, not Allen Robinson. Or Cam, my bad, Cameron, Cam Cam Meredith. Meredith. Yeah. I, I like Cam Meredith. I like Cameron in, Meredith in Dallas. Too. Yeah, yeah. Give me, give me him in, instead of Dante Pettis as well. Uh, next, we have Christian Kirk. Did, I'm wait, going wait, the wait, other way. Cam Meredith went to New Orleans, didn't he? Yeah, that's what we're. Yeah. He said. Oh, I thought he said in Dallas. My bad. I probably. Did. Oh no, no. He said Allen Hearns, Dallas, and then oh, he switched. Gotcha, no, gotcha, no, no, gotcha, Cam. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, Christian Kirk was the next one off the board. Uh, Kirk is going ahead of uh, Dante Pettis and behind guys like Calvin Ridley, uh, Cortland Sutton, and DJ Moore. Uh, He's going more in the range of Robert Woods, Nelson Aguilar, Jamison Crowder, around wide receiver 35. Uh, Will Fuller, those are names that are surrounding Christian Kirk. I'm okay with that. I like Kirk. There's really nobody besides Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, for Josh Rosen or Sam Bradford or Mike Glennon or Kurt Warner or whoever to throw him the ball. <laughs> they they uh, cleared out all the Browns. Cade McNown, you know, I, there's nobody else to, to throw to. So I like Kirk, and I think Kirk is going to be successful very early and often. So I actually like that one. I like it that spot for redraft, and I like that spot for dynasty. I think it's a safe landing spot for Kirk, him. Kirk was in the argument all year for the first receiver coming off the board. I mean, it's crazy to me that he dropped to what? fifth the fifth receiver coming off the board that's nuts and you know he goes to a situation to where he's once again we've said it before learning from one of the all-time greats yeah 
And if he can turn the the tutelage of Larry Fitzgerald into you know NFL success, he's got a chance to really be something special. Particularly if Josh Rosen develops. Yeah, I I if if you're going to take a chance on a rookie wide receiver as your wide receiver three, I already said I like Calvin Ridley. But Christian Kirk's number two for immediate in redraft settings and if immediate dynasty impact, Christian Kirk could have a big year. He really could. He he could approach a thousand yards. I think he gets to that sixty reception mark as as the wide receiver two down there. I mean, they're gonna be throwing the ball a little bit, I assume. Uh, you know, Bruce Arians leaving puts question marks over how much they're gonna air it out. But, you know, historically Arizona's put the ball in the air. And they produce a good wide receiver, too, whether it's one of the, the small guys that you always bring up arms. Uh, they always end up having a wide receiver, too, that's productive. Uh, Christian Kirk just might lock that down for three, four, or five years. I, I think what you get is that combination John Brown and Jared Brown to where you never knew which one was going to get you know five receptions and 80 yards. I think Kirk kind of takes all of that and ends up being you know a, kind of the – Five the, to eight reception a game guy. Yeah, so, someone a little bit you know more consistent yeah. and and not having to guess on which Brown you're going to put in there. And, and speaking of consistency, his college career was nothing but consistency. Right around 80, 80 receptions, right around a thousand yards, right around nine ten touchdowns. Every all three years at Texas A and M. That's that's pretty impressive. I it mean, is. his best year was actually his rookie year or his his freshman year. I mean, the guy was extremely consistent all three years. I, that's why I can see him translating that oh, into yeah. the NFL immediately. I agree, hundred percent. And for that matter, the guy going right behind him in the real draft and rookie drafts and dynasty startup drafts, Anthony Miller. I think you have the exact same situation. You have one alpha male wide receiver in Allen Robinson. Yeah. Uh, outside of that, you have no definite tight end threat, no definite number two receiver threat, and you also have possibly a young quarterback throwing to him, uh, you know, with uh, Mitchell Trubisky, you know, versus Josh Rosen if Bradford gets hurt early and often. But Anthony Miller's in the same position as Christian Kirk, and I like him right there with in front of or behind. I don't think you'd be wrong to take him, you know, wide receiver 35, just like Kirk uh, in redraft or dynasty. I like it. Allen Robinson's coming off an injury. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky, I think, is going to improve. I, I like Kirk and Miller almost the exact same. I give Christian Kirk the very slightest of edges, but I won't be surprised at all if Anthony Miller is the best statistical wide receiver this year out of this draft. Including Ridley. Including Ridley. Man, what a lead-in for Anthony Miller, Barker. Long-winded. I am believing. But full of, of great information. I, I am too, man. I, I love this guy. Said it day in, day out. Every time he, his name gets brought up, he's 5'11", plays like he's 6'5", actually has the wingspan of a 6'5 guy, catches anything, throws it in his way. He's going to be a wonderful, wonderful target for Mitchell Trubisky in year two. I think he has a chance to lead the Bears in receiving year one. I mean, I, I'm high on Allen Robinson too. But if you think about Mitchell Trubisky, his progression is going to be inside out, meaning he's going to find his receivers over the middle, get comfortable, settle into a game plan from the inside, which opens up the downfield passing. I think Anthony Miller could come in and catch six, seven balls week in, week out with pure consistency all year long. And I realize what that is. That's approaching 90 receptions on the year. I mean, the guy could be an absolute target monster. And he I'm not scared of Anthony Miller one bit. I think Miller's going to be fine. I just – I don't know how good that passing offense can be yet. I believe in Mitchell Trubisky, but he's still, you know, very young, very – doesn't have a lot of uh, a lot of great game tape on him yet. I think he's going to take off. I really do. I think he's going to excel. And someone is going to be the benefactor of that in addition to Allen Robinson. I think Robinson is going to be probably a 1,300-yard receiver there. Uh they still have – I know this sounds stupid because he barely plays, but they still have Kevin White. They did pick up Taylor Gabriel. You know, so Kirk might have a little bit of trouble getting on the field initially. But Anthony Miller. Or, yeah, Miller, my bad. Miller might have a little bit of trouble getting on the field initially, but once he does, I think he's a better athlete than Gabriel. And uh, we all know Kevin White's going to get injured. Yeah. Boom. So. All right. So the next guy, um, not in the same league to me, uh, the guy that got drafted by Pittsburgh, I got a special lead-in for this guy. Go. The lead-in for this man, Mr. drafted by the Steelers, is... 
James Washington. Jesus. <laughs> Presidential wide receiver extraordinaire, James Washington. All right, I had to do it, man. It's just such a presidential name. It is. Oh, Jimmy James Washington. Washington. Oh, Jimmy Washington. Oh, James Washington. Redraft, not touching him. Dynasty, I like him okay, but man, I made this argument on Twitter the other day. Somebody, there was an article. Is James Washington going to be this year's Juju Smith Schuster? They have no. Juju Smith Schuster. <laughs> He's not going to be. You know why? Because Antonio Brown is there. Martavis Bryant was uninterested in coming off a lost, what, two seasons? Yeah. Okay, so so of course Juju. Juju's going to be really, really good. Yeah. Juju's going to be good. and he, That's why he he's pro- going in the top 25 exactly. receivers. I exactly. mean, he's going to be a great number two. He produced with an uninterested and in the doghouse Martavis Bryant. Great. James Washington is not going to produce over a second-year Juju and in his prime Antonio Brown. You might get a few games, fantasy relevance out of him. He's not going to be Juju. You're, you don't need to redraft him. And if you're taking him in Dynasty, I put him right at that wide receiver 55 range. Yeah. I was going to say he's going to be in the 50s because what is he? He's a handcuff to the one of the other two receivers they've got in Pittsburgh already, sadly. And I think he's very talented, but we've seen this before with Pittsburgh. It's like they keep stockpiling talent just to let somebody else walk whenever their contract's up. And I think if I'm, I could be wrong, but I feel like AB's got two or three years left, and Juju definitely has three years left. I think James Washington is around that Paul Richardson, Alan Hearns, Jordy Nelson range. I'd rather me. have Alan Hearns, no doubt about it. I think I would too. Man, he puts up video game numbers in college, so he did. He, I'm, he, in the wild, Dyn- wild Dynasty, Big Twelve Dynasty, you want to draft him and stash him? Fine. Fine. I'm not fine. touching him in redraft though. He's just buried. I mean, there's no other. There's not much else to say. I mean, we could talk about him and the talent, but in the end of the, in, the end game is he's their wide receiver three, and and Ben Roethlisberger isn't going to throw for 5,500 yards with three guys ahead of him on the depth chart. When you count Le'Veon Bell, yeah. Le'Veon Bell caught 80 balls last year, 85 balls last year. I mean, James Washington is hurting for targets. Literally, Ben Roethlisberger has to throw for 5,500 yards. Or somebody has to get hurt for James Washington to be relevant. All right. Think Cortland Sutton's situation, but worse. Yeah. I mean, because that's what it amounts out to be. Better receivers in front of him, and it's just – and they're younger, more talented. I mean, he, he's he's got a very rough way to see the field. It's, it's going to take injury for him to have relevance. Agreed. Agreed, agreed. Oh, were you expecting me to talk about James Washington? No, no, no I I'm can't. Good. I no, can't, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I'm done. With, I'm done. With I, do, I do think he's, you know, one of the most talented receivers in this year's draft. Just a terrible. Situation I think he's for talented. Him. Yeah, I absolutely think he's talented. I mean, draft and stash. Like, I'm not going to let him fall, you know, farther than round three in a pure rookie draft. Like, if he's at the end of round two, I'm going to grab him and stash him. I mean, that's especially if you tons have a of upside taxi. there. Yeah, yeah, tons yeah. of upside there. But redraft or. Counting on him in a startup uh, to be a starter at some point this year? No. I if you have him as your wide receiver three, you are in trouble. Yeah. yeah. You are in absolute trouble. Absolutely. That's why if you have Alan Hearns, you could possibly not be in trouble. You brought up dynasty rookie drafts, and I brought up my, my main league, and the person that, that drafted James Washington drafted Juju last year and still has him. Oh, yeah. So he's just a handcuff. Yeah. Oh, oh, Neil. Old guest of the show, Neil. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. That's all That's that a fine pick when you have Juju or you have Antonio Brown. I mean, he's a, he's a handcuff. Yeah. Taxi squad let's, handcuffs. Uh, you got to love them. Oh, yeah. Let, let's do some quick hits here. Uh, we've got the Steve Slayton interview going on, and uh, we'll probably put tight ends in the next show with IDP. DJ Chark. Uh, not redrafting him. I'll take him as a dynasty stash. That there's a log jam there though. If you're in a startup, DJ Chark not happening for me. Talk, talk about that log jam a little bit more. I mean, D. D. I know you're big. Yeah, DD uh, Westbrook is is could be really solid in year two. Uh, Keelan Cole could be really solid in year two. Marquise Lee has always has been solid the last couple of years. And I just if you're in a startup and you're counting on someone to give you fantasy production. Uh, unless DJ Chark is far and away the best receiver on that team, which is unknown at this point, I just don't think you can take that risk in a startup. Now, so, now I got to sorry, I'm, now I got to play those names against you. Those names you just gave, 
are not great names. They've no, they're done not great nothing. names, but they're they're producers. They've done nothing. Keelan Cole did right. something at the end of last year. He had like two decent games. But I, I'm just saying, the, the log jam isn't quite as jammed as you might think it is. I mean, it's not like he's staring Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders in it. He's staring Keelan Cole, D.D. Westbrook, and Marquise Lee in the face. I'm not saying go out and draft D.J. Chark. I'm not saying that. But his road to the to the field is not that jammed up. There's not a roadblock in there. There's his, not an there's not a year in year out pro bowler in front of him, or right. even uh, all, no one in front of him. He can go in and win wide receiver two right away. I can I'm see just four saying. four wide receivers on that team getting 700 yards this year. Yeah, you and not a single one of them breaking eight. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't I don't I don't disagree with that. Here's the thing though, DJ Shark is the best athlete on the team today. Field stretch. He 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 what I'm saying, go into the field stretcher role, use that athleticism. He could be your guy that only catches forty balls before your seven hundred and ninety nine yards yeah. that you're saying. Here's yeah. all I can say. Keelan Cole, last three games of the year, put up nearly four hundred yards. Last three games. I, I love the way guys end seasons, especially right. when they get the chance. He got the chance. He capitalized. D.D. Westbrook played six games. Only six games. As a rookie, as a rookie playing six games with 330 yards, I, there's potential there. Yeah, yeah. There, there's, but there's just a lot of potential. There's a lot of youth and a lot of potential in Jacksonville, and D.J. Chark is either going to add to that youth and potential or he, right. ha- or he has to be the guy. He has to come into camp, and they have to be like, wow, he's better than everything we got. So we're going to start him. He's one to keep an eye on the preseason because he could, with his athleticism, take that leap above the other guys. Right. Let's simplify the game we're playing. You know, we're saying, where are you going to draft these guys against the other NFL wide receivers? Where are you drafting DJ Chark within the Jacksonville Jaguars dev chart? Who are you taking one, two, three, four? I mean, off the top of your head. I'm in the minority. Keelan Cole is my one. I I think he's going to be real. I think Keelan Cole is is going to be the real deal and be a very solid receiver for Jacksonville. Uh, I don't think you can discount Marquise Lee. I think Marquise Lee is really solid. I think if anything, DJ Chark could step over DD Westbrook. Yeah, as a field. See, I, I if I'm going to put these guys in a one, two, three, four, I'm going to go Marquise Lee. I'm going to go DJ Chark. Then I'm going to go Keelan Cole and DJ DD Westbrook. I'm just not a fan of. I mean, he had some numbers. There's a lot of debate that can be had in that Jacksonville wide receiver course, so he, he I don't just disagree. Ain't strong. He's far and away got the most upside right now, and without that's without seeing him on the field. And what we've seen this before. We've seen people from LSU not do jack in college, right? And turn around and just take the pros by storm. Yeah. So it wouldn't surprise me if he did that. I mean, he's uh, there's a lineage there. Yeah. I mean. He's definitely got the athleticism. Once again, he's the he's got the most talent athletically on the team right now from a wide receiver standpoint, and it's it's probably really not close. It's it's a it's an LSU wide receiver lineage. It's a very weird one, like you say. I mean, dude, OBJ and Jarvis Landry, neither of them went over a thousand yards. Maybe didn't neither of them may have not have gone over eight hundred yards their senior year, which were, or their last year in the in NCAA, which was the same year. But yeah, I mean, you got going back to Dwayne Bow. I mean, I mean, guys just didn't produce numbers in college. We came in, and Dwayne Bow had a few good years, you know. Yeah. All right, quickly before we get on to the interview, Michael Gallup. I like him. I think he's redraftable. I think he's dynasty draftable. I put him right behind DJ Calvin and Kirk and Miller. I like him after those guys. I think. Uh, wide receiver 36, 7, 8 is not a bad spot for Michael Gallup. I think he could easily lead the team in receptions. I think it'll be Allen Hearns, but I think Gallup is a solid dart through. Gallup put up hellacious numbers in uh, in college, and you know what? He's go- the, the role Des Bryant had is probably not being filled by Allen Hearns. I mean, let's be very realistic about that. Gallup is more, more Des Bryant than Allen Hearns will ever imagine being. Yeah. Um, but he did come from a small school, and you just don't know how that translates to the NFL sometimes, sadly. Man, I just cringe. I just cringe hearing Michael Gallup's name. I just – I dude, there's a lot of uh, – there's just a ton. What are you doing? <laughs> there's just a ton of question marks around Michael Gallup, to be quite honest. I, I don't know if his uh, – 
I don't know if he's going to translate to the to the Dallas Cowboys immediately. I mean, I'll, he, he I'll basically played. He played two years at Colorado State. One had almost thirteen hundred yards and fourteen touchdowns, and the other, the next one had a hundred receptions for fourteen hundred yards and seven touchdowns. I mean, dart, at, dart at, throw. at his level, he was hands down the most talented person on the field every every week. But Oper- it, opportunity, yeah. Mountain There's West. Opportunity. There is opportunity there. I, I like your example of a dart throw. I mean. If you're good at darts, you're going to hit. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, we will do some more wide receivers and tight ends on the next episode, but we want you guys to make sure you get to hear the Steve Slayton interview. So, without further ado. All right, guys. I got Steve Slayton with me. Unfortunately, uh, my co-hosts weren't able to join. Uh, they're out of town on business. But, Steve, thanks for joining the show, man. I highly appreciate it from the bottom of my heart, man. I, I do appreciate it. No problem, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. You're uh, one of those guys, uh, you know, I've been watching football for a long time, following West Virginia and other schools for a long time, and, and I just remember being so excited at, uh, you know, what you came out and did your rookie year. And uh, obviously I want to talk about a few things, something we just discussed before I hit the button. But, uh, but yeah, what uh, as far as like these incoming rookies coming in at running back, uh, first thing I kind of wanted to ask, is there anything that these guys should know before they put on the pads and, and hit the field for game one? Like, like what don't they see coming, in your opinion, Steve? Um, I think the biggest thing is to enjoy it. You know, that's first and foremost. You know, let you know that dream, that hard work take over and, and enjoy the moment. But um, there comes a point to where you have to learn to be, become a professional. And I think the, the big, biggest thing is uh, finding a mentor, finding somebody who's um, been in the league, been as successful, and, and, and try to follow their lead and pick their brain and see how they've been able to be successful and have the longevity of the season. Who was that guy for you, Steve, if you don't mind me asking? Um, it, it was There was a lot of guys. Uh, I mean, I came in – uh, Amon Green was running back. Chris Brown was a running back. But I'll say one of the bigger ones was uh, the backup quarterback, uh, Sage Rosenfels. You know, he's you know spoke to me about you know be- becoming a professional. It's like you know you can enjoy this moment, but keep working on it to um, to stay around. He's another one of those guys I love watching on social media. Man, Sage seems like he has just a great time with life and just soaking it all in. Yeah, definitely. It seems very social aware to where. Um, you know, he's been fortunate. He played for uh, over 10 years, and you know his tax back is different, but he does care about different things and about the people that are less fortunate. So I, I like seeing that side of him, and he's always been that type of person to um, look out for people that need to be looked out for. Yeah, that's always good to hear, too, the consummate pro. And both you guys actually played for you know my Miami Dolphins, which makes me kind of happy that, <laughs> that you mentioned yes. him and, and you as well yes. being on the show. So been a big Dolphins fan since I was, you know, just a young kid growing up in Southern Ohio. Everybody's watching the Bengals and, you know, I remember being little and watching Dan Marino just launch one and I'm like getting excited. My whole family's like, why are you, what, why are you excited about? I was like, that guy, that guy is what I'm excited about. But uh, Very understandable. Yeah. But another question I got, uh, real quick, I had a guy on, his name's Mitchell Renz, real swell guy in the fantasy football community. And he did a little write up, a little piece about Jarek McKinnon who's, uh, you know, getting ready to start his first year in San Francisco and, uh, you know, running under Kyle Shanahan. And, and part of the piece that he wrote was kind of a blind comparison. He put numbers side by side and, and, and athletic ability as far as the uh, combine goes and, you know, what, what they did or uh, what you did actually uh, coming into the league under Shanahan in Houston. And uh, I, I thought it was really interesting because I had talked to you a little bit already before he came on and he threw me for a loop on that one. So we're talking about Jarek McKinnon and Steve Slayton and just talking about how, you know, you absolutely blew up your rookie year and, and did that under Kyle Shanahan. And I don't know if you know anything about Jarek or know him, but but what uh, what do you think he can expect playing under a guy like Kyle Shanahan this year? Um, I, I think I owe, owe a lot of success to Kyle just because of how he utilized me. I think Kyle um, does well with athletes, um, putting them in the best position. He's a, a great, you know, he's been around football his whole life. You know, knows father, but um, he, he does well with uh, getting plays um, or getting the ball in players' hands for them to make plays with. Yeah, and that's that's exciting. I'm excited for Jarek. I'm excited for some of these rookies. Like, hopefully, they can achieve what you did coming into the league and just taking the league by storm that year and, and showing what you know what kind of abilities you had. And and speaking of abilities, I, I love following players like yourself, like Sage. 
and just catching up with what they're doing next in their life. And uh, I saw and, and spoke to you a little bit about uh, your thing, you're doing your thing as a chef in the Houston, Dallas area. Tell me a little bit about that. What got that started, how your interest peaked in that field and, and what you love about it. Um, well, I've always cooked since I was younger. My parents um, used to have a, a catering company, barbecue catering company. Um, but it was one of those things to where, you know, I played football my whole life. That was one of my dreams. You know, that's off the checklist. It's like, what would I want to do after? And cooking was one of those things to where I enjoy. I, you know, there's so much I can learn from it and that I'll always be learning from it. So it's one of those things to where I was fortunate enough to go to culinary school, um, work with some good places to where it helps with my credibility. And uh, right now I'm just uh, doing personal chefing and a little, little kitchen consulting. Actually, uh, one of my clients, he owns a bar, and uh, he's handing over the range for me to uh, change up the bar menu. And oh, yeah. Yeah, you were telling me a little bit about that. How's that going? It's going good. It's going good. Uh, just right now, just really trying to uh, break down all the recipes, how the menu is going to go, uh, costing everything out, ordering everything. So all, all the back kitchen stuff. So it's, it's fun. It's definitely um, – a, a, a new title new task and i'm looking forward to completing completing it that's cool that's a that's another thing i'm somewhat interested in i went to a guy uh in school with uh where i went to high school with his uh, his name's marcus meacham and uh he's one of those you know small town famous guys where we're from he's been on the taste made channel a few other places he's always flying out to la and doing cooking shows and stuff and i always catch him and like yeah i'm proud of that guy I went to school with that guy it's really cool that he's doing that and and once I saw that you were doing the same thing, I was like, you know, just another thing that piqued my interest. Like if I'm going to the Dallas Houston area, which is possible, we got invited to the, uh, uh, big fantasy football convention that Tony Romo and Ezekiel Elliott host every year. Nice. And, uh, and if, if I'm down in that area and I go, you know, into a restaurant where, you know, Mr. Slayton's got the menu, what do you, what do you suggest once you got this menu done? What's your signature dish? What should I try if I head that way? Um, well, since it's a, it's a bar, um, I think the problem with um, he'd had before I'd seen the menu is that um, I don't think they were making that much money. I think um, food wise, you know, you go to a bar, you're going to uh, to a bar for bar food. But um, everything I think I'm, I'm a touch, I'm going to try to make it uh, consistent and um, delicious. So I'm, I'm going to I'm going to offer you the whole menu. <laughs> I could probably eat the whole menu too because I love food, man, especially bar food. Like by a dude I went to school with, uh, Marcus, he, he, he loves to take the American greats, the, the burgers and, you mm-hmm. know, the roast beef, just, just anything bar food, anything American food and, and just put a new twist on it. So I'll try just about anything, especially that kind of food. Yeah. And so it's uh, like comfort food and you know, well, American comfort food. Yeah. If somebody puts good, calamari, good, uh... Somebody, yeah. somebody puts calamari in front of me. I'm just not sure what to do. Like, do I need a special utensil? Like, can I just yeah. eat this with my hands like a burger? I, I'm just not sure. So, but man, uh, do you do you still keep contact? Where uh, where we live, you know, we're kind of bordering West Virginia almost. So we kind of frequent. You know, we go down that way to Mardi Gras, the casino. We go catch some Marshall games, some some West Virginia games. You still have a uh, you know a lot to do with with. Uh, I know you live in the Houston Dallas area, but do you still have a lot going on with? you know, some of your alums and, and guys down at West Virginia? Yeah, I try to keep uh, in touch with people as much as possible. But, uh, you know, as life life comes at you fast. So yes, whenever I can, um, me and Pat and uh, Maddie Stout, we have a podcast. But um, oh, yeah. Pat, Pat accepted a new job as a football coach. So it's recruiting season. So it's kind of putting a fluctuation into uh, our podcast time. So it was just, you know, one of those things that life throws at you. So we'll, we'll get back to it soon. What's the name of that podcast? I'd love to listen to it, man. This has been like, this is kind of like my thing. Like my whole family plays music. You know, I got people that are into stuff and I've never found anything to be into. And then once I started this podcasting thing, it's like, okay, this is where my heart's at. Yeah. What, what's the name of that podcast? I'd love to check it out. It is a Pat White podcast or PW pod. Another former Finn. I love it. Yeah. And you're talking Pat White, you know, quarterback that went to, to Miami, my, my favorite team there the fins that, that's who we're talking about right pat yes 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 sir good deal one and only <laughs> cool it's good to know you still got connections down there it's that's one of the things i like talking to, to folks about too we uh talked to 
Chase Litton, quarterback that just went uh, to Kansas City by way of Marshall. And uh, probably one of the best things about talking to him was just hearing about his passion for some of his teammates, you know, old and Mm -hmm. present. And just good to hear, man. It's good to hear about those relationships that get built over the years uh, through playing football. It's a strong bond. It's you know, sports itself is a fraternity, and so so, you know, that all that blood, sweat, and tears you spend in practice and in games, you, know, you kind of have a forever bond that you know, uh, reminds you of certain things. Good deal. Well, man, I don't want to take up much of your time. There's going to be a lot of people excited to uh, to listen to what you got to say. Uh, you know, the I'm not sure if you. I know a lot of players don't don't get into fantasy football much. I know some do. I mean, you're you're one of those guys that you know me and my buddies when we were playing. It's just you know what what can I get? What can I give you to get Steve Slayton off your hands, man? So, so what uh what a, what do you want to, that community to kind of know about you and and uh, you know just anything? What would you like them to know about Steve Slayton, the man, the chef, the football player? Uh, that I appreciate having those guys you know follow me. It's funny that um well that music's playing. Where's it coming from? But um. <laughs> It's it's funny that you know back when I started playing, I didn't really know too much about fantasy football, and it was it was great to hear guys come up to you, you know, be really into it. It seems like um, it makes the sport of football deeper, you know, because you have something else, uh, a different aspect of football to really look after. And um, I appreciate those guys' hard work. I feel like it's a, it's another job to uh, play fantasy football and to be good at. Yeah, and and it something I love about it that I think some people you know, don't talk about much is just the, just some of the light it sheds on other players. Like, you know, when you play deeper leagues or or with individual defensive players, like I've got to know so much about so many guys by, by playing that. Like one of the guys that's going to come on the show soon is Adam Carricker. And, and I know everything about that guy. Cause I'm so, you know, I play this game yeah. and I, you know, we, we try to learn as much as we can about these guys and it just, it's awesome to to get to know everybody not not just the guys that came out like you and put a thousand yards on paper your first season not just the the high draft picks but just everybody and uh, it's i think it kind of brings everybody together in a sense which is really cool yeah and that's what i think football should be i think you know it's a i think one of the greatest team sports on there so you need all 11 guys on on one accord to to win a game yeah and that's one thing i've learned about football over the years that i you know wouldn't have known otherwise is just the way you guys love the game, the way you guys love each other on the field, the way you guys help each other out, even after your careers. And just one of those comforting things to know. I mean, it's 2018, the world's kind of crazy, but when you can reach out to guys and like yourself and you agree to come on here with me, like, you know, just people helping people, man. And uh, again, I I appreciate it. No problem at all, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate uh, giving this opportunity. Absolutely, man. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. I'll definitely check out the Pat White show. Look forward to hearing. I know it's not going on right at the moment, but I'll backtrack those episodes. I'll listen to the ones you guys already put out there. So, so man, Steve, thanks from the bottom of my heart, man. I appreciate it. I hope the uh, chef thing continues to to grow for you and you continue to knock it out of the park uh, just like you did football. Thanks again, Steve. Thanks for contacting me, man. I appreciate it. No problem, man. Have a good day. You too, buddy. Thank you. This concludes another episode of the Back Row Fantasy Show. Thanks for listening, and be sure to give us a review.